And the most important soft skill across every company in every industry was likability. Like it wasn't communication, it wasn't zeal, it wasn't enthusiasm, it was likability. And the only way you can be likable is if you're authentic. Hi guys, we're your hosts Jillian and Kaylin, and this is Teach Me How to Adult, a podcast on all the things you never learned growing up, like how to buy a home, manage stress, crush your love life, land your dream job, and how to love yourself more, because we could all be a little kinder to ourselves. We're still figuring out how to get our shit together, so we're calling in the experts and the hustlers for some real talk and legit tips on how to live your best life. Adulting isn't easy, but we got you. Hi friends, we are beyond excited for today's episode because this is one that we know is going to help so many people and that's just what we love to do here. So if you're not already following and subscribed to our podcast, take a quick sec, do it right now so you can get so much more access to helpful episodes. Yes, please do because we are so excited to be bringing you the beginning of season two today. We have so much in store for you in season two. We're so excited. We've been speaking to amazing experts and big news you heard it here first we are going back to weekly episodes so you're gonna get way more episodes way more content way more on social way more of everything so definitely make sure you're subscribed and look out for us every wednesday for season two coming at your favorite podcast player back to today's episode it feels like everyone is on the job hunt right now and it's exhausting it feels like it's a full-time job just to get a job I know anyone out there trying to do that right now can relate yeah it's it's madness and between the great resignation and the potential of a recession tons of people are in the job market right now and it is tough out there it is tough but don't worry we got you because we sat down with Emily Durham aka Emily the Recruiter on Instagram and TikTok to help us navigate the wild world of job hunting. She's amazing. And we covered everything from crafting the perfect resume and LinkedIn profile to slaying the tough interview cues and getting the salary that you deserve. Yeah, this episode is fire. And I wish we had this when we were job hunting because I think we did a lot of things right. But there's probably a lot we also could have learned from Emily in the past. Oh, yeah. But the one thing that I have always found that really, really helped me during job interviews find a lot of success was really going into that interview beyond just preparing for the actual job itself mm-hmm. and everything that you want to say and your your work experience, which is obviously important. I would try to find something that I had in common with the interviewer so that I could create a connection. And I know that sounds like really mm. weird. It wasn't manipulative. None of it was lies. <laughs> I would actually be like, oh, you love cottaging. I love cottaging. I'd like creep the recruiter or the interviewing manager, whoever it was, and be like, I actually did an interview once where I was like, I see you love leopard print. I also love leopard print. I'm obsessed with leopard print. And I happen to have worn my leopard print shoes today just as a talking point. And then we had something to bond over. So yeah, like it's a little creepy, but I'm a little creepy and you got to be yourself. So just let your freak flag fly. (laughs) Yeah, because at the end of the day, we are just all people and we can all relate to each other on a human level and seek to create a connection. And that's how you really, really make an impression. And then the other thing that I always do is interview them which everyone says you know to do you're interviewing the company as much as a company is interviewing you Mm -hmm. but the times I've like slayed a job interview it is because I fully was like tell me about your culture because it's really important to me that I'm working in a place where I am comfortable and supported and where all the things that I value are also valued like I asked a bunch of questions interviewed the shit out of them kind of put them in the hot seat and I think it made a difference I think it made them be like okay this is a person who knows what they want. No, it's so true. It shows you actually want to work there. It's You're not just like rapid yeah. firing your resume out to any company. If you're, you know, doing your research and asking the right questions, it shows your enthusiasm comes through. 
I think my, okay, my top two biggest tips would be for number one, prepare like crazy, but not to the point where you're memorizing your answers because you'll sound Mm -hmm. like a robot, but like practice with a friend, call your mom and practice your questions, you know, go over like the main points you want to cover so that you're not stumped. Because the worst thing in the world is them asking you a question and you sitting there like, oh fuck, and just like blacking out, which happens, it happens. So prepare. It happens. Over prepare. And then similar to your point about finding common ground, having charisma in your interview is so important. Like having charisma and letting your personality come through is just going to make the conversation flow a lot easier. You're going to feel more comfortable. You're going to feel like yourself. Let your personality come through. But we are not the experts. So we called in talent attraction expert Emily Durham. Emily is your recruitment big sister. And we're also like gunning for her to be our recruitment bestie because we're obsessed with her. Like actually obsessed. So Emily, you have two new best friends. I'm sorry. Yeah. And the best part about Emily is she walks the walk. So she's actually a senior recruiter at a major software company, a career coach, and a content creator who helps people thrive in their nine to five. And you may know her from her killer podcast, The Straight Shooter Recruiter, love that name, or from her TikTok and Instagram accounts at Emily the Recruiter, where she reaches over 2 million people with her helpful and relatable career advice. I'm obsessed with it. All Kaylin and I do is send each other her videos. So seriously, go follow her. She's also been recognized as a top 30 under 30 York University changemaker. And to be honest, she's a top 30 in our hearts. So teach us how to land our next job, Emily. Emily, thank you so much for being here with us today. We're so excited to talk to you. We are such big fans of your podcast, of your social media. We follow and obsess over you, share all your content with each other. So this is so great to chat and get get your expertise because a lot of people are in the job market right now and kind of struggling with finding the right job, how to apply. The entire process is very, very daunting. So let's start at the beginning by talking about the job application itself. Do you have any best practices that people should keep in mind for their actual resume in terms of length and like action verbs and like visual do's and don'ts and data, all of it? 100%. Firstly, the feeling is so mutual. I am so excited to be here. So thank you. This is such a pleasant break um, for my work day. But oh my gosh, I feel like all I do is eat, breathe, sleep resumes because it's one of those things I actually didn't know how to format a resume until I was a recruiter. And um, then it was too late. It wasn't helpful for me anymore because I was already in my job. So the biggest things I've seen, particularly from feedback from recruiters, but also hiring managers are on a couple of core areas. So the first is the length. Unless you you are like a PhD student or an actual executive, two pages is your hard stop. And I'm talking two pages is gracious. It should be one, but I'll give you two if you're feeling bold. So keeping your resume short is so important because on average, recruiters only look at your resume for six seconds. Bananas. So six seconds is all the time you have to make an impact. Um, So the longer it is, the less likely your recruiter is reading your resume and the more likely they're just kind of like scanning and doing a vibe check, basically. So the shorter Mm. and more condensed it is, the better. The other thing I don't see enough on resumes, and really I only see on the resumes that do exceptionally well, are big pieces of data. And I'm not talking about spelling out data. I don't want to see you type out the number. I actually want to see like old school, type the number one, type the number seven for two reasons. When you have data on your resume, you're quantifying the work that you do. So I understand the volume that you work at. I understand the impact. And data can be anything. Data can be how many customers you served. Data can be, you know, the return on 
on investment from, you know, that property we're managing. It can actually be any kind of outcome or input that's there. But the other reason data is so important is when a recruiter is using those six seconds, as they're scanning your resume, they're actually visually drawn to where numbers are on your resume. So they're seeing a whole bunch of words and then this number and they're like, oh, I might as well read that sentence. That feels a little bit different, doesn't it? And that's one of the core ways you can get recruiters to stick to your resume. I also, oh my gosh, I could talk about the design of a resume far longer than a human should. Keep it simple. Oh my God, girl, I've I've seen some things. I have seen some like colors. (laughs) Like, oh my gosh, I had one candidate this is so bad. I have to share it though. I had one candidate who literally lined their resume with photos of themselves. No. And I was like, oh, girl, for a finance job, there's simply no way. I don't even think I'm that confident on my hinge profile, but girl, you came in with that resume with like six angles of your like good side, bad side, <laughs> upper side. And I love that for you. <laughs> However, my hiring managers, they're not too keen, not too keen on that. So simple, avoid pictures, avoid crazy colors. Honestly, the best thing that you can do is use like a basic, simple resume template from a website like Canva. You cannot mess it up. Like it's best to do simple and classic versus going overboard crazy colors. But I wonder how that would even work with like an upload, you know, those because you got to upload your resume to a lot of those sites, but I feel like the photos would just break it. You know, if it's like a one gig resume file. The thing that I I think is really interesting about like misconceptions with interview processes or with application processes is that applicant tracking systems, which are basically the tools that we apply to when we're applying for jobs, aren't as smart as people think they are. Like before I was a recruiter, I was convinced that there was this big machine that basically would scan my resume and throw it out if it didn't have the keywords in there. I wish that were the case. Um, Actually, I don't. I'd probably be out of a job. But our applicant tracking systems, particularly in Canada, don't roll like that. They're able to categorize who they think is going to be a good match, but they're not intelligent enough to throw out resumes. Nine times out of 10, they're looking for keywords that really aren't the most aligned to the job description. So it's really important to not get hung up on using those buzzwords or having, you know, a zillion buzzwords and then being scared to save it as a PDF or save it in Canva and fear the ATS is not going to pay attention to it because really that's not how applicant tracking systems work. So are buzzwords in like important at all or is there just a balance of like not regurgitating every buzzword in and just being like strategic or screw buzzwords? What's what's your opinion on that? I think if you have one really good resume, you don't need buzzwords because ultimately when you're applying for a job, the biggest challenge is not um, using buzzwords to bring your resume to the top. It's actually getting a recruiter to open your resume and read it, which is crazy um, because the volume of applicants inbound is so high, mostly because mm-hmm. people who apply for jobs aren't usually qualified. It like triples the volume that it should be. The issue isn't, oh, you know, you've got the word synergy on your resume six times. It's, you know, is that recruiter actually opening it? So I think if your focus is on having one really well-crafted resume, that's much more valuable than customizing it with all of the keywords for every single role you apply to. Plus you're going to burn yourself out like that. Like that's a recipe for making yourself feel like crap. One thing we really wanted to ask you about too are cover letters because I see some companies are still asking for them. Everyone hates writing them. Are they actually important? And like, what are your best tips for for crafting a great cover letter? I'm so biased. Personally, I think cover letters are so old school. Like you mean to tell me you have my whole resume, my whole LinkedIn, and you want me to what, write like a three-page manifesto on why I'm a great candidate? 
Not today. <laughs> not today. Google me, girl. It's not happening. Um, so I think a lot of the companies that are a bit more progressive, they're going to be okay without a cover letter. So think about the industries like tech, industries like marketing, um, industries like you know agency, consulting. Those are areas where you might not necessarily need a cover letter. But when I think about banking, government services, those are areas where cover letters unfortunately, are still very much a thing. Mm -hmm. So if you're going into a more traditional sector, I always say if you have to wear a suit to work, you have to write a cover letter to work there. Like that's kind of the, the feeling you have to think through. The easiest way to write a cover letter is focus on it being three quarters of a page. Your first paragraph is an introduction to you. So it's four or five sentences. Who are you? What did you study? What do you do? Why are you fantastic? The next paragraph is why you're interested in this company. And the next paragraph is why you're interested in this job. Um, so it's usually just breaking it down like that. Three or four, maybe five sentences for each of those paragraphs and you're good to go. The tragic news is that most recruiters don't even read your cover letter, even if they ask for it. No. So don't read too much. Like, don't read too much into it. I know it's devastating. <laughs> I remember I used to work... Um, in a capital markets recruitment role. And I would always get these fantastic cover letters and I would spend all this time reading them. And the people I worked with were like, girl, why no one reads those. And I'm like, but they wrote them. People just, it's not a thing. Like no one has the time it's to so read these It's yeah. horrible. It's like begging people to write this like fantastically worded self-love document. And then I'm like, okay, great. But what was your GPA? It's crazy. <laughs> right. Right, right, right. And that's just so good to to know to not overthink it because I can think of like the last time I was hardcore job hunting, I was missing opportunities and not submitting applications in time because I was so caught up in making the perfect cover letter and I was like so stressed about it and I was taking too much time and I was customizing my resume to such a degree for everything. And then I missed the windows. Like it would take me days and then it would be over. And so I missed a lot of opportunities because of that. And I think it's a really good little nugget for people that if you're overthinking it to that degree, like better to get it out and have it be great than to not get it out in time and have it be like allegedly perfect. Yeah. yeah. And I think the biggest thing too is like that is so much more common with women than with any other group. Um, women are only likely to apply for a role where they feel they meet 80% of the qualifications. That's a lot wow. of the qualifications. And I can tell you as a recruiter, you don't need, you don't need 80%. Men are more likely to apply when they feel they meet 30%. Really? The man Whoa. reads the title and is like, I could sound out those words. I could do that job. But the woman is going to look to make sure she's got the full checklist. So we're so hard on ourselves. Like, don't add more pressure by making the application process this strenuous experience. Ultimately, yes, they're looking for talent, but you also need to be interviewing them and that company. And especially in this market, our candidates are still holding the power. Let's pivot to LinkedIn. Do you have any like overlooked hacks for making your LinkedIn stand out to recruiters? Yes. So one of the biggest things with LinkedIn um, that I didn't know about until I was a recruiter is that there's two sides to LinkedIn. There's the LinkedIn that the average person has, like you as a candidate would have. Mm -hmm. And then there's LinkedIn Recruiter. And LinkedIn Recruiter is what I use to find candidates. And ultimately, it's a search engine. So when you think about it like that, you're thinking about your profile as a website, like SEO. That's really what you need to be optimizing right. in your search. So what matters is the keywords that come up. And those can come up in any section of your profile. 
profile. The best and easiest places to put in important keywords is in the skills section. So if you go in and literally brain dump all of the keywords. So for example, you're in marketing, you should be putting in like SEO, SEM, performance marketing, mm-hmm. um, like digital marketing, literally everything that has any relevance to your field is going to be super important. The other thing is that your profile is more likely to be opened when you do have a strong profile photo, even if it's not professional. So those are two things that I always recommend people update that takes literally less than 10 minutes. Okay, those are some serious hot tips. I have a question. What about those like catchy titles that you're seeing people do these days? Like instead of marketing manager at Disney, people are like digital guru, X Cineplex, X, like all the companies that they worked for. Is that like super cringe or is that something that people should be doing? I think nothing on LinkedIn is cringe other than like those really embarrassing posts where it's like, I'm so pleased to announce that I've accepted an offer. Like, oh my God, enough. No, I think those are fun. Um, I think as long as your profile is an accurate representation of your brand and your personality, it works. Okay, You can always tell when someone is like, software engineer, lover of code, hater of this, like walks on the beach, love sunsets. So like this, you're taking it a step too far. Um, you want to make sure it's aligned to your brand. Save that for Bumble, honey. Yeah. <laughs> Save it for Bumble. Wrong app. Wrong app, sweetheart. I'm so sorry. I clearly had a visceral reaction to that. Yeah. Shout out to Emily, who's deathly ill, but still committed to doing this podcast because that's just the kind of gal yeah. she is. I think the other funny thing about those catch phrase titles is I... The way I was boiling it down is if your kind of job identity is a company, like if you're like committed to Disney and like this is my lifelong career dream and like I'm working at Disney, like it makes sense for that to really be that title. And if you're more of like a person who's just like, I'm a journalist, but I've worked at many different places and I'm not like tied or devoted to one outlet and I switch every year or I freelance and it makes sense to have that like job title description, like storyteller, journalist, like searcher of the truth like whatever it is that you want to put because you're not as tied to potentially a company as you are as like what you actually do and create so I've been seeing a lot of that and I kind of like it like a differentiation between a role versus like what you do okay I want to talk about soft skills and where the right place is to highlight those because I feel like they're they're so important to kind of the invisible reasons why you might get hired but then like where do you where do you put them can you really represent a soft skill well on a on a resume so in terms of things like conflict management or adaptability or like high EQ things like that do you feature those in a cover letter or resume save them for an interview and what part do those play Great question. So I think about this a lot like I think about dating. Um, And I look at a man's profile and he tells me he's like six foot five. He's gorgeous. No kids. Never been married. He's the smartest, funniest guy on the planet. And then you meet him and it's like, who is this man? This is not the man I matched with. I think it's so easy for people to be like hyping themselves up when it comes to their values or their soft skills on paper and ultimately means nothing. I'm going to have a bit of like a hot take on this. You can say all of the right things till you're blue in the face. It's not going to matter until somebody meets you. So what I would recommend doing is two things. First thing is the best way to actually get ahead of this is be proactively networking as you're interviewing. So 
reach out to the companies you're interested in, build those relationships. That's how they get to know who you really are. The other thing that you can do is on your resume, a lot of these soft skills are implied by your results. So for example, your change management and ability to work well with others is going to be demonstrated throughout some of your key achievements at work, which is why coming back to data is so important. So if you were able to drive massive change in your organization, I'm going to assume you have pretty good interpersonal skills. So there's really no point in you listing out all of your fantastic soft skills, because frankly, nobody's going to take them seriously unless they're based in me meeting you or based in some of your results. Right. Right. Show, don't tell. Exactly. Exactly. Love that. So you kind of touched on it briefly there, but it often feels like when you fire off an an application, it just like goes off into the abyss. You don't know if it's opened. You don't know if anyone's going to see it. So how do you actually get it noticed? And is it is it okay to reach out to people at the company and build a connection after you've applied to a job? Oh my gosh, it is ideal for you to reach out and do that. I actually recommend doing that before you even start applying for jobs. Like the second you get that itch, reach out to people who are in career paths that you think are interesting. They're at companies you think are interesting. Like have those conversations. I think there's nothing wrong with building out your network. If it's not now, it's later. So Mm -hmm. always be networking like all of the time. When you do apply for a job, it's not to say that your resume doesn't get opened. I've made lots of amazing hires from people who apply directly. Um, But a lot of companies don't have the infrastructure to go through 500 applicants for every single role. So after you apply for a job, find that recruiter on LinkedIn or find someone who's currently in that role on LinkedIn and reach out. And it can be as simple as, hey, my name's Emily. I recently applied for the senior recruiter role. I'm super interested in the team. Let me know if you have 10 minutes to chat. And they're probably not going to ask, um, you know, to chat. That's probably not even going to be something they offer, but they might just say, send me your resume and I can flag it with the recruiter. And that's good enough. That's fantastic. Yeah. It's just one more push to help bring your resume to the top of the pile. Love that. That's, I'm so glad that you said that because I have often wondered, should I be like following up? Should I be reaching out after I submit an an application? And I never have because I've been like, no, that's probably so annoying and they probably don't want to hear from me. And it's like, they're hearing from everyone that's irritating. So I'm so glad to know that you're giving the green light, the seal of approval as a recruiter that we should do that. 100%. And you also have to think about like the recruiter's goal. My goal every time I have a position is to get it filled as quickly as possible. So you're actually doing me a favor if you're legitimately a good candidate for this role, reaching out by highlighting your profile. Don't do this if you know you don't meet like half or less um, of the qualifications, because then you're probably not creating the best brand for yourself. But if you're a legitimate candidate for this position, oh my gosh, you're doing me a favor by connecting with me. Yeah. Love that. One other quick question about the application process is when when you're going through a portal, I forget what you called it. Uh, application, application tracking, tracking system. Software. They keep me up at night. Application <laughs> tracking system. Love that. Okay. When you're going through that and they automatically ask for salary expectations that gives me so much anxiety because I'm like could I be disqualifying myself and taking myself right out of the running if I say the wrong thing and like obviously it's a whole question of what to do when you actually meet the people but before you've even gotten an interview what how do we approach salary expectations if you haven't even you know gotten an acceptance of an application yet yes so when you're just applying oh my gosh I'm gonna sound like the worst person ever lie. You should lie. Um, And here's why. Because a good company is not going to ask you that. Like any company I've worked at would never ask you your compensation expectations without even owing you or without even giving you a conversation. Like how are you able to justify how much you're asking for when you don't fully understand the scope of the role? Mm -hmm. That's crazy. Um, So what I would do is like, that's a big ask. Like I don't know 
you know, the role might sound small on paper, but then I meet with you and suddenly it's massive. So go on Glassdoor, Mm -hmm. see what the average comp is for that job at that company and put that in there. Like just do that and then deal with it in the conversation. Um, It's unlikely that that's something that's going to kick you out of the process. But I also think it's not the best practice because you also think about who's most likely to negotiate for higher comp. It's not women. Mm -hmm. It's not women of color. Um, It's not persons with disabilities. It's not an inclusive process. So I would actually see that and have a flag raised about the integrity of that company who's still doing that in 2022. I actually put the number one on my last application because I was like, they know I don't want to get paid a dollar. So they could think it's a typo. I don't know if that's good or bad, but I just was like, I'm not answering this. And you shouldn't have to. Like, it's it's kind of barbaric, to be honest. Also, like, again, total sidebar. How lazy is, is that recruitment team? You can't right. pick up the phone and ask. You're gonna get you're gonna get me to type it out, give you everything on a silver platter so you can lowball me in the offer stage. It's a no. It's a no from me. Yeah. Yeah. And you're right. That's a really good point. No matter what you put, you don't know the scope mm-hmm. yet. So then once you show up and get an interview and discuss with them, that that bar changes and that metric changes based on now everything you know. And so, yeah. Exactly. Okay. I feel Okay. I have a sidebar question <laughs> then on that. And we are getting into the interview stage of our questions too anyways. But really quick on that. If you talk about salary or you give your salary expectation and they have that on file, but then you learn more about the role... Should you have that conversation and say, you know, based on what I've learned about the role now, I'd actually think that this is a more appropriate salary range that I'd be comfortable with. Can you go back? 100%. You can go back until you sign an offer. Once you have pen to paper, you are out of luck, my friend. I've had so many people try to ask me, not in my role, but in my coaching, they'll say, you know, I just signed this offer, but now I'm thinking about it. I should be getting paid more. Mm. It's too late. Mm -hmm. Like that's legally binding. You've made your decision there's nothing wrong with you adjusting. And that's why the language you use in the process is important. You don't say this is the comp range I'm looking for. What you say is based on what I know right now, here's what I'm thinking. And you give a range and you should be being transparent. A good recruiter wants to match you to the job that's right for your career. They also want you to stay Mm -hmm. at the company. So if you're not being paid where you feel you're going to be valued, why would I want to push crappy comp on you? Like, what does that say about the company? So I think it all comes back to knowing your worth. And if that changes throughout the process, amazing. Because any company who's not going to flex and adjust is not a company that you want to work at. Mm-hmm. And someone will pay you what you want to make, I'm sure, if it's within you know market value and it makes sense with your experience. especially in today's market. Like I know we're entering a bit of a gray area with the recession, Mm -hmm. but we're still in the great resignation. It's still a candidate's market. If there has ever been a time to be picky, it's right now. Good advice. Love that. Okay. So let's dive into the interview portion. You've submitted your application. You've gotten an interview. In terms of behavior and personality, we're dying to know what makes an interviewee really stand out to you specifically when you meet them and like what makes them likable and is it important to be likable like what what leaves a good impression with you 100% so actually the University of Toronto did a study three years ago where they surveyed a bunch of top employers in Toronto and asked them to rank what soft skills were most important to them and the most important soft skill across every company in every industry was likability like it Mm. wasn't communication it wasn't zeal it wasn't enthusiasm it was likability And the only way you can be likable is if you're authentic. 
not everyone is an extrovert because not everyone is supposed to be an extrovert. So for me, I like to see someone who's showing up as themselves. Maybe that's a quiet introvert. Maybe that's the big bubbly personality. So I want someone who's their authentic self. But above all, the most important thing to me is curiosity. Are you interested in the business? Are you interested in the questions I'm asking? It's a big red flag for me in an interview where a candidate has zero questions for me, zero questions about what our business goals are. Mm -hmm. My favorite thing in a conversation is when they ask me a question I don't know the answer to. Because it shows me like those gears are turning. They're thinking about long term. So come curious, but you also have to show up as yourself or else you're doing yourself a disservice. That's a great answer. In my mind, I had such a specific slice of like what I thought coming off as likable would be and like super bubbly really chatty like relating to you on so many things but that's not what everyone is like so then you're not being yourself so that's I'm glad that you said that because everyone has a different version of likable I'm sure and all you can do is be authentic to yourself and be kind like if you show up and you're a jerk like no one's going to want to work with you the base level should be like show up as a kind person that isn't going to be disruptive and toxic Exactly. And it's honestly like I know the whole blacklist thing um, is like a bit of a rumor where there's a joke that recruiters have like an ultimate naughty list of people they'll never hire. I have that list. There are candidates who were absolutely wretched to work with, like just nasty, mean, would cuss like and I don't physically have that list. But I know the second I'd see that resume, it would be like hard no, it could be 15 years from now and the answer is still no. So showing up as a good person counts for a lot. A hundred percent. Even as a like as an editor, when I moved into an editor role or as a freelancer, when I have to hire people to write things or create content for me at different companies, I have gotten pitched or had people reach out and say, hey, we've moved into this. You know, we're creating this type of content now. We'd love to work with you. I've said no because they were so rude to me when I was at the bottom of the food Mm. chain working with them. They treated me terribly. And then they come knocking on your door for an opportunity. I'm like, absolutely not. Because even if you're great at what you do, nothing is worth working with someone who's cruel. So it goes a long way. Amen. And good 100%. for you. And people talk oh, within yeah. industries. Like they talk. They're like, oh, Susie, she's a real piece of work. You don't want to work with her. She is not nice, not reliable. Um, so yeah, it does matter. 100%. I'm also wondering like if there's any ways of making a good impression on like Zoom interviews or remote interviews because I have only ever actually done job interviews in person but in this new world so much is remote and I I feel like that's scarier like I don't know how to form a human connection and give the same impression that I used to in person it's so challenging but a lot of the fundamentals are the exact same between zoom and in person the biggest thing is being present it's so easy at least for me like I'm so tempted I'm such a freaking millennial to be like oh my phone lit up oh my dog's chewing on my shoes like I get so distracted so making sure you don't have distractions and making eye contact like looking deep into that camera it counts for a lot um <laughs> like it really gives the impression that you're there and that you're present so being present is huge and then also being a little bit more showy with your active listening like give a little nod give a little smile like it doesn't mean that you need to do the whole you know theatrics as you're going through but really being present and showing up is one of the best things that you can do and not being distracted so don't overthink it your recruiter is also just a person who's probably feeling equally awkward being on camera eight hours a day um so don't overthink it at all I love that advice. And I think I think it was you that shared a video that was saying an, a great way to break the ice in the in the beginning part of an interview is when someone asks you a recruiter or whoever you're interviewing with, how are you actually answer that question? 
like be like, oh, I'm fabulous. I just found out that like this is happening for me today. And it just sort of like gets the conversation starting that you're a human being and, you know, lets your personality shine through. 100%. The worst thing you can do in an interview, in a meeting is skipping small talk. Like small talk is the caveat to big talk, right? Like yes. that's that's really the way that you get there. So ask them how their weekend was. Have something interesting to share, even if it's small. Like every time my boss asks me how I'm doing, I'm like, oh, great. I just watched that documentary on Woodstock on Netflix. Um, like there's so many interesting ways you can start conversation and build relationships that are so low lift. Like it's so easy just to share what book you're reading, um, share that you went on a walk by the water this weekend. Like don't be scared to integrate your authentic life into your interviews in little ways that are meaningful. It makes them feel good too. Like I know my interview yesterday, I complimented her on her earrings and she went off for like five minutes about how she like bought them from this favorite store she loves in Paris and like it, it just lit her up and I was like, yes. Okay, good. Well, it's true. Like, ultimately, everyone is still just a person. Yeah. Like, there's nothing better. Like, recruiters are not these robots where, like, I still get nervous for some interviews, especially when I'm doing executive hires. Girl, I shake. Like, I'm nervous. Like, break the ice on both ends. Yeah. Ultimately, you're two people with the same goal. In a perfect world, you are the perfect candidate so your recruiter can close her search or close their search. Um, and they're also going to be a great recruiter for you so to connect you to your dream job. So it really is a two-way street. It's so true. Like they they want to love you. And if you remember that going in, I think it like helps helps me calm my nerves if I'm like, okay, they're not out to grill me on my resume. They're out to just figure out, okay, am I the right person for this role? And am I am I likable? Like could this person sit on a plane with me for an hour if we had to go somewhere kind of thing? So I love that. Yeah, they want you to win. That's a great point. Like every like we're on the same team if we're doing an interview. Exactly. Together. So it's yeah, that's a great way of thinking of it. So do you have any tips on how people should best structure their answers for like the most common interview questions? Like, could you tell us about the infamous star method that people are usually encouraged to use? Oh my gosh. I love star. Okay. I know everyone talks about star, but it's for a good reason. Like it's like tacos, you know, everyone's talking <laughs> about tacos because they're good. Star is good. Star is like, let's talk about it. Let's yeah. talk about it. Like STAR is good because it's an amazing framework. It doesn't mean that every answer needs to use that framework, but if you're someone who freaks the hell out in interviews and you get nervous quickly, STAR is a really easy way for you to answer questions. And when you have those moments of freak out and you feel your body tensing up, you just take a breath in that interview, you think of STAR, and it gives you a place to go back to. Like that's that's the way I think about it. It doesn't mean to be, you know, ball and chain. It's there to support you. So STAR stands for situation, task, action and result. And the idea is that when you're asked an interview question, you're giving one or two sentences for each of those core competencies. So for example, if you ask me about a challenging role that I closed, um, I would tell you the situation. I was tasked with hiring an executive human resources business partner leading Canada. The task well, I suppose I answered that in the situation. Same thing. You get me. The next is the action. So what did I do? I created a pipeline of 95 candidates, interviewed 45 and had five in the final round. The result is we had an amazing hire start within you know three months, which is ahead of target. Something that is data backed and just uses those quick frameworks is an easy way to make sure the recruiter is going to get the answers that they need in a way that's not too long winded. Okay. That's so key. I So follow up question to that then. What if you're, let's say you're interviewing with HR who might not know like the ins and outs of the role, how technical should you get before like their eyes start glazing over? 
on your answers? Oh, good question. Okay, I'll take a step back. Never tell HR they're not technical because sometimes they are. Sorry, and honestly, I'm, so I'm not sorry. one to get offended. <laughs> oh, no, no. Oh, no, no, no. Not you. I mean, like in an interview, I've just had candidates in interviews be like, I'm not going to get into this because you're not going to know what I talk about, what I'm talking about. Okay, that's about. rude. And I'm like, Ooh. that's fucking – I can't call You can swear. We swear on the show. No, yeah, you can't. Swear away. Oh, it's fucking rude. What do you mean I don't know? Like some things <laughs> that's for sure. Rude. Like you're – that's fucking rude. Um, Like that is unnecessary. Some things, yes. Like am I an engineer? Am I going to understand the ins and outs? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. But I know what your frameworks are. I know what an API is. Yeah. Or the worst is like in sales where they're like, oh, you're not going to understand what my KPIs were, my measures of success. I was like, I exclusively do sales recruiting. I know this yeah. very well. Yeah. So starting off, like don't assume the recruiter knows nothing. Keep it high level. Um, and then the best thing that you can do is say, I'm going to keep it high level, but let me know if you want more detail. And then they'll tell you. So if mm-hmm. I'm in a like recruiting for a role that I'm really comfortable mm-hmm. with, for example, sales, like I do that all day, every day, I'll say, okay, can you click down a little bit on what those measures were? But if it's an engineering role that's like really niche and I like, I get it conceptually, but I don't know the nitty gritty, I'll keep it high level. And that has to be good enough. Okay. So the last question is about the question we all hate the most, which is when people ask your biggest strength and your biggest weakness, and it seems like there's just no right way to answer it. Do you have any advice on how best to approach that? Yes. Firstly, if you're a recruiter and you're listening to this, girl, why are you asking that question? You think they're being honest? (laughs) You think I'm going to be honest when you ask me what my biggest weakness is? There's no way. Because no. um, if I was being honest, it would be like, I cry at the drop of a dime. You look at me for too long in a Zoom meeting, I'm going to start crying, right? But not a good look professionally. Um, I spiral like it's my day job. I'm a fucking tornado. Oh, my God. If My boss could send me like, and he's fantastic, but if he sends me like not an emoji in a message, I'm like, are you mad at me? What did I do? What did I do? I've been here for three years. Like, everything's fine. Um, so firstly, if you're a recruiter, PSA, enough out of you. No more of these questions. The strength one I hate less honestly, just pick something that's in the job description, like pretty straightforward. Um, pick something that's pick two, I would say, if they're asking you and you'll give the classic, well, I'll give you a technical skill and a soft skill, you know, just to even it out. Pick the most important technical skill in the job description. Obviously, only if you have it, you don't want to lie. And then pick a soft skill like collaboration, caring about diversity, equity, and inclusion, something that genuinely does matter to you. Mm-hmm. I do think it's important mm-hmm. as much as I joke, like lie, don't. You want to make sure that you're being authentic because also if your skills and things you bring to the table aren't aligned to this job, you also don't want this job. This is not just about this job wanting you. So you have to be really thoughtful about that. The weakness one, there is a tip. Don't do the default. Everyone says, I'm a perfectionist. Not everybody is a perfectionist. I'll tell you that. Like, Mm -hmm. it's not a thing. Mm -hmm. So what you do is pick a legitimate weakness you have, but what you do is share how you work through it. So for me, it's data. Data is not something I enjoy. It's not something I'm great at. But unfortunately, I work with data every single day in quite a great amount of detail. So what I've done is when I would answer this question, I would say my greatest weakness is data, but I know it's important to my career. So I've taken additional courses, um, you know, online, and I just budget extra time for my data and analytics. So I have more time to work things through and I ask for feedback and help. So as long as you have a solution, it's going to feel and sound a lot more positive. And it also shows that you are proactive about the areas you need to work on. Just don't do the default generic answer. It is not a good look. Yeah. Okay. So my honesty, probably one of my greatest weaknesses is I'm incredibly disorganized externally, which I think is like would put off a lot of employers, but I have like systems to manage myself and I actually have a very organized mind. It's just my environment that becomes very disorganized. But like I have 
I know where all my shit is. Mm-hmm. I just like it's just not organized to the outside. Would that is there anything that's like too honest? Like, would you deter people from saying something like, "I'm very disorganized," and, and my default is disorganization, but I have a lot of methods to keep that in check. Like, would that scare a recruiter away? It really depends on how you frame it because ultimately, like if I just straight up said I'm bad at data, fundamentally I shouldn't be in my job. Like being a recruiter is so data heavy. It's all about how you word it. So my go-to is always being organized isn't my default setting, but this is what I do. I create frameworks for myself so that it has become my knee-jerk reaction. It becomes my crutch. So just saying that something isn't your default setting is really safe language because a lot of things aren't my default setting. Same could be for um, you know, an introvert who's sharing maybe that they're a bit more anxious in social settings in this kind of example. They could say my default setting isn't to be super extroverted, but what I've done is gone out of my way to connect with people who have big personalities and I've gone out of my way to network and get out of my shell. So using language like it's not my default setting is a really safe way to say this isn't how my brain naturally works, but here's what I'm going to do about it. Mm, that's such oh, a, that's so helpful. Yeah, that's such a good way to so navigate smart. that. That's my sneaky way of telling people I can't count. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, it's you don't need to. It's redundant. We have cell phones. It's cell phones so true. Count. I just ask Siri. Yeah. Siri, how many people did I hire exactly. last month? There you She's go. got it. She's got all yeah. the answers. <laughs> She's like, thousands, you're the best recruiter ever. Oh my gosh, I wish. <laughs> At Intuit, did you hear that? Just kidding. They're fantastic. I can't complain. <laughs> oh my God, I love I that love I name dropped them. <laughs> so one question we always love to ask our guests is, what's one thing that you wish you had been taught in school? I have two. One is taxes. Um, like, what the hell, guys? Really? I did not know a single thing about taxes. I didn't understand, like property tax, income tax, all of that meant nothing to me. That's a little sidebar. Actual career-wise, I think one of the things where I think the education system really fails us is on career education. I think especially in high school and in early stages of university, we're basically taught that there's five or six career paths. You're either a doctor, a lawyer, you're a teacher, or you might be like a creative. Like there's really not a lot of education on what career looks like. And then you start off in your career and you're like, There's a niche for absolutely everything. And I think our education system does us such a disservice by not exposing us, maybe not to every niche, but to different industries as a whole. So I think I I wish I would have learned more about what career could look like. Last but not least, please tell everyone where they can follow you and find you and get all of your amazing advice and expertise and just like pure entertainment. Oh my gosh, I am honored. So you can check me out on Instagram and TikTok at emily.the.recruiter. I have a podcast on all platforms, the Straight Shooter Recruiter, as well as a YouTube channel under Emily Durham. Um, but you can also just find me walking down Queen West with my dog. That's it. That, that, those are all the places. That's I love That's that. where I'll be. I was like, going to say, like physically, outside of the Starbucks on Queen West. I Loved this episode so much. Thank you so much. We learned so much. And also, it's just great to hear it coming straight from someone who has a career based in this and also has been on both sides of the both sides of the spectrum in terms of applying to jobs, recruiting. You just are the whole package. So thank you. It's going to help a lot of people. No, thank you. I had so much fun. There you have it, friends. We hope this episode inspires you to apply for that role you've had your eye on and crush the entire interview process with confidence. We'll leave you with a quote from Marissa Mayer, former president and CEO of Yahoo. I always did something I was a little not ready to do. I think that's how you grow. You push through those moments and that's when you have a breakthrough. That's what she said. So there you have it, guys. Thank you so much for listening. 
If you like what you heard today, it would mean the world to us if you would subscribe and leave a comment or a rating. And we'd love it if you would share this with your friends by screenshotting the episode and sharing it on social by tagging at Teach Me How to Adult Podcast and DM us with any topics or guests you'd like to hear on the show. See you next time. Bye. Bye.